Lord God, edify our hearts and our minds, our spirits, in the name of Jesus. Praise you, God. Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. I don't, uh, a, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times I, I, I have a clear understanding of, of why I'm speaking what I'm speaking tonight. I'm not always sure. It's just, this is the what I, I feel in the spirit, so we're going to go with it. It's a little di- bit different than the way I would normally operate in the word, but we're just, we're just going to go with it, all right? Sure. Praise God. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, on another note before we get into this, uh, next Tuesday night we are going to be doing some teaching for the Fresh Fire on Zoom. We'll send everybody a link, whoever's interested. It will be more on the uh, uh, founding, grounding level, um, but that doesn't mean we can't get involved. If you'd like to get involved, please do. Uh, we are going to talk about hearing from God. We're gonna, we might also talk about things just like, speak just... The purpose of things like speaking in tongues, you know, mm-hmm. you know that might be sound like basic to this church, but if that's something you'd like to hear more about, mm-hmm. then uh, I, I'm going to be doing the teaching on this Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks from that, Brother Dean is going to be doing some preaching, teaching, spirit ministry, mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to be taking turns every other week or every two weeks. We're going to be switching off uh, unless something comes up when we. Uh, that's going to happen for a couple months. And uh, we might get into the oneness of God again this year, like we did last year. Uh, I'm not sure of everything about that, but we might do some more of that. So there's uh, a lot of new people up in Ontario that just need some founding uh, understanding. And there's a whole new group of uh, people in South Carolina. So um, just uh, throwing that out to you. We'll, we'll send everybody the link. And uh, if you want to come, you can come. If you don't want to come, that's fine. You won't hurt my feelings. I'm going to preach for two or three hours anyway. Okay? Amen. So um, you all know I can do it. So, Brother Good, I, I, guess, I guess I should say both of us are, call, are going to be calling brick and mortar. Mm. Brick and mortar sessions. I'm the brick, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I, even, I even got brick colored on tonight. I got my brick shirt on. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm the brick, he's the mortar. Uh, I'm going to be laying down the blocks, and he's going to be putting the mortar in there. You know? So that's, that's the idea of what we're doing here. I'm going to be more in the word, he's going to be more in the spirit, and it's all going to be working together just fine. Amen. Okay? Amen. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at this. I got a lot of scripture here tonight. Uh, I find most days, you don't know this because you don't see my notes, uh, and I don't publish them, and even if I did, you wouldn't understand them. Uh, because most of the time I just write little scriptures down, and how did you get that out of this? Yeah. I don't know. I look at my own notes weeks later and say, what did I preach about? I have no idea. I just, it's not, so I don't bother publishing them, and I don't bother showing them to anybody, but normally here lately, I don't get through about half of my notes. It's all right. I don't even take a lot of notes, and I don't even get through half of those, so let's see what happens tonight, shall we? Amen. Lord, have your way. Can we say that? Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. Thank you in advance for the word. So we're looking at verse number 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Paul, of course, is talking to the Corinthian church. He's dealing with a multiplicity of issues. 
And he seems like he's just running from one thing to another. But if you read the letter enough times, you know everything folds neatly and just dovetails neatly into the next one. The next subject he talks about is directly related to the last one mm-hmm. and then the one before it. Uh, I mean, after it, it just it's just flowing all the way through. It's not just jumping from subject to subject. In the middle of this um, chapter right, right here, he's, he's talking about a bunch of things that we won't get into. We're just going to get right into the last part. It says, For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. There are so many things in this walk that you cannot understand. I mean, he talks about that in chapter 2. You will not understand. He talks about it in Romans. He talks about it in Galatians. That the natural man cannot understand what the Spirit of God is doing, even in your own life. Even as it's playing out in your own life. Well, we know that. But it's a mark of humility when we accept that. Everybody with me? Amen. It's, you know, we were talking about maturity on Sunday. It's a mark of maturity and humility to accept that I cannot control my life. Mm-hmm. I cannot control the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. I cannot control my destiny. I, in order to get further down the road, I have to stop. Mm-hmm. That's counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. In order to uh, live, I have to die. You know, I have to lay myself down as a living sacrifice if I want to live in the fullness of... I need to limit myself and discipline myself in order to walk free. And here we see Paul saying this very thing. He said, I'm free. Most of the time, and most, you know, if you want to talk about like evangelical or mainstream Christian type churches that, that preach a standard Christian message, and I'm not speaking against them. I'm just saying what you will hear a lot of is that we are free by the grace of God, which, by the way, happens to be true. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. We are free in the grace of God. We are free and have been freed by the Holy Ghost, but not in the ways that we think we have. Because Paul then goes on to say, don't use your liberty as an occasion in the flesh. Don't use it as a license license to operate by your flesh because that's not what a spiritual license is for. Mm-hmm. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, those things that are born of the flesh are flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is? Spirit. That's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, when we say it that way, that makes sense. But what doesn't always make sense is what is born of the Spirit and what is Spirit. Jesus says to us, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life, right? Yes. Well, can anybody admit that there's a lot of things Jesus says to us that we don't even really understand? Absolutely. Oh, we, we don't. When we do understand what Jesus is actually saying, it surprises us. Come on, anybody but, my, but myself ever find that in your life? Yeah, there, there's times where, you know, don't, don't pretend you can read even the words of Jesus and say, yep, 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 I already knew that. No, you did not. <laughs> so many times the Word of God will come to us and we'll act like, oh yes, I've, I've been knowing that for 50 years. <laughs> no, you didn't. If God's telling you, you might know an understanding in your head, but your spirit a lot of times doesn't <clears throat> latch a hold of it, right? <laughs> so we're talking about one thing that Paul talks a lot about that Jesus also talked about is the difference between flesh and spirit. 
Okay, Jesus talks several times about this. Paul talks a lot about that. Uh, you cannot, there, there are ways to operate in the, in the flesh, and there's ways to operate in the spirit. Jesus tells us the flesh is weak, yes. but the spirit is willing. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> Which is to say the flesh is unwilling. And the spirit is strong. <laughs> so if we will go in the spirit, you will find that you'll be weak in your flesh, but strong in your spirit. If you will, if you'll go with that, that your spirit, you'll be willing to do everything, even while your body is unwilling. That's the that's the reason why we can, in the flesh, operate under a certain condition, and in the spirit, operate in another condition. I don't know about you guys, but there's a lot of times where it doesn't happen here, but there's times where I'm going out somewhere. But this happened a lot when we were would go to conference or something. You can ask my wife; she can attest to this. We'd be we'd be driving, and I'd say, "What what would I say?" I don't want to go. I don't want to go. We'd already be going. We'd already have gotten into the car. I'd already timed it all out because I hate being late to anything. I'd already timed it out. We're already on the road. And, we, and Lord willing, if everything goes right, we're going to make it there on time. In fact, we're going to make it there half an hour early. That's the way I like to roll. So uh, we'd be going down the road, all dressed up, you know, tie choking me. And sitting there saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Always glad I went, though. Usually, sometimes I wasn't glad I went. <laughs> Usually, glad I went because we got to hear the word and we got to be in the spirit. Amen. If no one else is in the spirit, we, you can get in the spirit. Yes. Amen. But Paul is sitting there saying, "Where I, though I'm free of all men, yet I have made myself a servant unto all that I might gain the more." I'm free. Well, there's, there's nothing like freedom. I have been hearing reports all over the place in the last several days. This, this seems to be popping out of the woodwork all of a sudden. They are now making a push. And you know me, I don't pay attention to a lot of things they're doing. It's, but when things come to me like this, when things from the world come to me, the Lord puts it, if you will, in my lap. I, I understand the Lord's trying to show me something. The Lord's trying to show me and opening up the prophetic eyes to see, okay, this is the next phase of what they're pushing. What they're doing is they are now pushing. Maybe some of you have uh, seen this too. They are pushing this. Um, I'm forgetting the actual words they use, but this uh, livable income for everybody. Yes. Oh, yeah. you, some of you guys have heard that. The proposition is... That every person, every one of the 320 plus million people in the United States, and now I guess that's going to include all the people who aren't actually citizens, but everyone that lives in this land is going to have, is going to, uh, the proposition is that everyone would be given just clear, with no strings attached, and no conditions applied, given an income that you can live on completely. In other words, Enough for housing, utilities, everything, clothing, food, anything you need. <coughs> the theory is, is everybody just has enough to live on. Everybody's uh, poverty level will drop out and everybody's success level will rise up because now we won't have the stress of having to just make ends meet. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if, if you are a human being, that 
according to your flesh, will be a great idea to you. I'm not talking about whether you tend to be more liberal or more conservative or Republican or Democrat or right or left. None of that even matters. Everybody's different. We all have different leanings. But I'm talking everybody will hear that and, and immediately think, yeah, that'd be great. What if I'm just given free and clear, like, I don't know what number they're going to make it. What would that be, $50,000 for everybody? I don't know. I, I, don't know. I don't know what they would... But they were talking about one, uh, I'm, I'm losing the number now, $75 billion or something like that, or, or is it $750 billion? I can't remember. But it's some huge, phenomenal number that the government would have to pay every citizen, and maybe more than citizen of the United States, just to be able to live, I mean, just live comfortably. Not, not comfortably, but have everything you live. And you can spend it on whatever you want. They won't even make you like spend it on food and this, that, and the other. I have been hearing this being pushed over the last several days. And I know it's more than just the last several days. This is the next thing they're doing. Because they, as they're saying it, they're also saying they want this to model, uh, be a model for the rest of the world. They've already done experiments up in Canada. Uh, there's, there's certain places in Canada that they've done that to supposedly great success. Now, why am I talking about this? You know me. I don't usually get into this political stuff. What, what it is is when I saw that in my flesh and natural mind, it's kind of a, okay. You know, I can understand the logic behind that. Free everybody of the stress of just living, right? The, the stress of wondering if you're going to be able to feed your kids a healthy meal, you know, this week, inst instead of substandard food, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the stress, uh, the, relieving the stress of not having to put your kids in daycare or, or uh, knowing that you can at least get good care for them or, mm -hmm. or you know, good schooling for them. And you can, you can be free now to pursue gainful employment or education without having the worry of, you know, trying to work a job and go to school. Right? Everybody hear me? To the natural mind, that sounds great. But something in my spirit said, oh, this is just part of that antichrist yeah. spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this one world, let's give everybody their dope and get them hooked. Uh -huh. So that well, once we've got everybody controlled, and uh, then the Lord started showing me, oh, this is already happening. COVID hit, what did they do? They started giving people money. What happened? A lot of people stopped paying their rent. And landlords suffered. And houses went into disrepair. And, and foreclosures started happening. Oh, why? Because people were like, great, free money. And because it's COVID, I, I have an excuse not to pay. So they just took all this free government money and, and all the money that they would be normally spending on rent. And they just had a good time during COVID. Well, COVID's still here, of course. I'm just saying what happened a couple of years ago. And uh, but it's it's already here, folks. It's already here. This and we're not talking about, again. I'm not going to waste my time talking about all kinds of whether what's better, capitalism or, or socialism. It doesn't matter. Theocracy is the best. 
God rule is, is the plan, right? Yeah. Want to talk about one world government? Jesus ruling from Jerusalem. There's your one world government. And it's going to happen. It's coming to a neighborhood near you. Amen? Someday soon. It's going to happen. The devil only borrowed the one world government idea from God. You think we're going to have a one world religion? No, we're going to have a one world understanding of who God is. And you'll have your choice to serve Him. And you'll have your choice whether or not it's going to rain on you or not. You'll be able to go up. To the feast if you want to. If you don't want to, you won't be blessed. I mean, that sounds cruel and pedantic of God to do that. But it's just, he understands when he rules, he's going to rule the right way. And everybody's either going to do the best thing they can for themselves. Or they're not going to get the best thing for themselves. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what's happening. But the devil has only borrowed all this. And he's pushing on. He's pushing us through good ideas. And stuff like this worldwide you know, planned demic. Uh, I, which I think it is. I think it was a big plan of Satan from the start. But this, this thing is just ushering in the end times. We're seeing it right in front of our face. And so we're getting to this part where Paul starts talking about, I am free. I am free. And yet I've made myself a servant. Why have I made myself a servant? So that I can gain more. See, the worldly idea is, Give me more so I can have more. Don't earn more. Don't, don't work hard and get a skill set. You know, let me, can, can I use a really stupid example? Sure. Okay. It's not really that stupid. It's just it's a totally unimportant example. But it's the one that came to my mind, okay? A couple of months ago, I, uh, for the first time in my life, I, I, I learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube. Okay, and uh, I, I've played with a Rubik's Cube, you know, various uh, times through my life. I, when that thing first came out in the 80s, I got one. I bugged my parents. I bugged my parents, bugged my parents until I got one. And I was sitting in my room under my covers with a flashlight, you know, just trying to figure this thing out, you know, and, you know, pulling the pieces apart and putting it back together because I couldn't actually solve it. So I would just put it back together the right way. My friends at school would rip the stickers off. And I knew instinctively, don't rip the stickers off because they'd all get dog-eared and all that, you know. And uh, no, I actually learned how to pull the thing apart, put it all back together the right way and, and then try to do it again and mess it up and have to pull it apart. And anyway, I, I've had several Rubik's Cubes in my life. I've had the triangle one, the pyramid one. Ever seen that? I've had the, like the oblong circular one. I even had one shaped like a ball. I, I, when I was about 12, I must have had six different kinds of little puzzle things like that. All different kinds. Well, there's nothing like the original. The Rubik's Cube's always the best, you know. And they came out with, a, instead of a 3x3, three three, they came out with a 4x4. Four four. I've never messed with that one. Maybe I'll get one of those one of these days to see if I can figure that out. Anyway, I finally learned how to solve the thing. And when I was learning how to solve it, it would take me 20, 30 minutes to solve this thing. Well, I was timing myself the other day. I'm down to under three minutes. Wow. I solved the thing in under three minutes. That's because I'm so smart, right? No, you know what it is? I worked at it. I worked at it. I worked at it. You know, it's amazing how I, I was watching this video of this, uh, this Asian boy who in about 12 minutes, while he's juggling three Rubik's Cubes, he's solving them. Wow. He's juggling them and solving them. He solved three Rubik's Cubes while juggling in about 12 minutes. Now, that's pretty impressive. But I'm going to tell you something right now. That's because that kid spent a lot 
of time with a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when, you, when you're talking about brick and mortar, when you see people laying bricks, and we, we, anybody ever watch a stonemason work? Yes. And they just and it's just like, wow. You ever see a drywaller work? They're just like, you know, uh, put the stuff up, zip, zip, zip. And when it came to mud, it's just, and it's like, it takes me three hours to get one, one smooth line out of that thing. That guy's just doing it one time. It's all smooth and he's just cutting. I'll tell you what, it's a guy who spent a lot of time doing that work. It, you know, but what we want in our flesh is we want to just be able to get and get and get without putting in any effort. And the, the devil comes along and says, I'm willing to give it to you. Did you have something to say, brother? Oh, oh yeah, it's just like doing the potter's wheel. I knew you were going to talk about that. And I, 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 yeah. I have like 10 pieces at a gallery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Hopefully, if, if anybody needs any ashtrays, no, 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 not ashtrays. If anybody needs any pottery, Brother Harry can make you pottery. All right. If you need, if you need something for your home, Brother Perry, uh, Brother Harry's your man. He's been working at it for a while, and he's gotten really good at it. Right. Yeah. The more you do it, the better you get. Oh yeah. And uh, that's what it's all about. You're putting in an effort to do something. Now, yeah, I know the Rubik's cube is not going to save my life. No. It's not going to save your life either. And if I sat here and took time in church night and solved it for you, nobody's going to go home any the wiser. True. You're not going to be that impressed. Great. You can, you can flip a few things around. But my only point was not to impress you with my wonderful knowledge. I mean, I'm playing with toys at the age of 49. That's not very impressive. My only point is just to say, you work at something even a little bit, you'll get better at it. But, this, but what Paul is saying is, I've actually learned something that you will not find with your natural mind, is if I become a servant to all, I actually gain. Well, to me, if I become a servant to everybody, all my time is taken up. I don't gain anything. Everything I have is given to someone else. No, 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 no. In the spirit, things work different. But he goes on. He's going to develop this thought. We're going to read down to the end of the chapter. He says, under the Jews, I became a Jew. Sorry, as a Jew. That I might gain the Jews. Now we start to understand what he means by gain. He's talking about... I have become a servant to people that I might gain people. Is this for some egomaniac or megalomaniac or tyrannical idea of just gathering people to uh, either conquer another people or just to be really cool and everybody else look at you as saying, oh, he's the man? No, that's not the point. We all know that's not the point. It's, it's, he's gaining them for the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom-minded attitude. What he's doing is he's not being a hypocrite. Come on, can anybody say amen? Yeah. Paul wasn't being a hypocrite. He withstood Peter to the face because Peter was being a hypocrite. He was laying things on the Gentiles when the Jews were around, and then when the Jews weren't around, he's living like a Gentile. It was hypocritical. Or hypercritical. I don't know. Anyway. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Dumb joke. Let's move on. But Peter was not operating right. And Paul, this is out of the book of Galatians, he said it went so bad. This, what Paul calls dissimulation in the King James. He said even Barnabas was taken away with this kind of attitude. And Barnabas was a great man. Okay? We see, we see Barnabas as a great man, but Paul and Barnabas had a sharp dispute. 
And it wasn't just over John Mark, apparently, it was over other things. And that doesn't, we're not trying to cast any bad light on him, but we will say the story keeps going, and we don't hear too much about Barnabas anymore in the book of Acts, do we? You know, I'm not saying Paul didn't make his mistakes, but he's, he's saying, okay, listen, when I'm talking about gaining the more, we're not talking about a selfish gain now. We're talking about souls for Christ. So he's like, I, you know, he's like, when it comes to the Jews and under the Jews, I became as a Jew. What, what do you mean? Paul is a Jew. Yeah. Right? Well, technically he's a Benjamite because the word Jew comes from Judah. Right? Paul said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, right? Mm -hmm. So technically he was not a Jew so much as he was a Benjamite, but he was a Jew because that, was, uh, that became a collective term mm -hmm. uh, because the, even the Benjamites, a, a lot of those people lived in the same area down in Judea. So moving on, he says, and unto the Jews I became as a Jew. It's weird how he says it like this because he's not actually a, you know, saying that I... I'm a Jew. He's like, I'm kind of like I'm becoming like a Jew. But he is a Jew. It's weird. But what he's saying is, I've become a servant. I've given up my heritage. I've given up my creed. I've given up my motto. I've got, you know, he already told us that I consider all that rubbish. I've put it on the heap. He told us that in Philippians, right? Mm -hmm. You know, who was he talking to when he was talking to the Philippians? He was talking to Macedonians. But he was also talking to a people that when he was there with them, he got thrown into jail. And when he's talking to them, more than likely he's sitting in a jail cell talking to them. So it's like whenever you're talking, uh, dealing with the Philippians, it's all about being incarcerated. Mm -hmm. he, he got put in jail while he was there, but saw a lot of souls saved. Mm -hmm. He's writing to them about the joy of the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Mm -hmm. And he's saying that from a jail cell. And he's telling them things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, you can't do much. Sitting in a jail cell, well, I'll tell you what I can do in a jail cell. What I did when I was with you, I can sing, and I can worship God, and I can see the angels move the house. Praise God, the Spirit of God literally rocked the house. And he, so he's like, I've given up. I've given up my, my heritage. I've given up my freedom. So that I can gain souls. Now I don't know where he is probably in Ephesus when he's writing this letter. But he's writing to these guys to straighten out these things. He says, so I, to them I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law. Wait a minute, Paul's not under the law anymore? Now he already told us in Romans he's not under the law, he's under grace. But did he tell us to totally forget about the law? No. 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 What he really said was, I'm not under the law of sin and death. Right. I'm not under the law of sin and death. It's not like I've totally rejected the laws of God as unimportant. No, it's the word of God. God doesn't write anything that's unimportant. Can we understand that? Yes. Can we agree with that? He doesn't yes. write anything that's unimportant. Right? Yes. And uh, the Old Testament is not old and dusty and antiquated and out of date and out of use. It's not. Amen. Everything in there is still in use. How about animal sacrifice? We don't do that. Well, we do sacrifice. Yes. Mm -hmm. I laid myself down on the altar this morning. How about you? Amen. That's not a brag. That's just something we should do. Yes. Amen. This is a reasonable service, according to Paul, right? Yes. 
Present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which, you know, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The word reasonable there is logikos. You can hear the word logic right in it. It's logical to do this. It's reasonable. It's acceptable. It's, it's your baseline duty. Lay down your life. Okay. Can anybody make us do it? No. God won't make you. But this is, this is what we do. You know? Yeah. Ooh, uh. Yes. What, what, about, uh, what about circumcision? Well, we're still circumcised in the heart. So if you want to throw away the law, you're not going to learn too much about what sacrifice even is. Right. You're not going to understand the importance of something like a circumcision of the heart because you won't understand it in a natural sense. Right. And you won't, so that therefore you won't understand it in a spiritual sense. Paul tells these folks in this very book, it's what is natural that is first, not spiritual. Oh, wait a minute, God's a spirit. He came first before natural. Yes, he's talking about how we relate and understand and learn about things like the resurrection. Mm -hmm. We learn about that through natural things. A seed dies. Mm -hmm. It's all dried up and hard. Yeah. Shouldn't anything ever happen with that thing? And yet something magical happens when we put it in a bunch of dead dirt. Yeah. A dead seed goes into dead dirt and we put water on it. And something awesome happens. In the course of time, something living comes up out of the ground in a resurrection. You want to learn about the resurrection, learn about natural things like planting a seed. Something as simple and basic and, and to, to everyday human life is that. You know, I, I planted my first seed, like I said a few weeks ago in church, I, I planted my first seed when I was in kindergarten. Right? And learned that I can, I can take something so little and grow something that is about twice as tall as me. I was only just a little short guy in kindergarten, about probably about the size of my daughter, just short. That sunflower must have must have been seven feet tall. You know, that thing grew twice as tall as me. I had to get up on a ladder to pick off the seeds. And I'm talking one of my dad's paint ladders. You know, one of the, one of the good sized ones. You know, whatever that was. So we, we've, got, we've got this stuff in our life that we will never learn if we just throw away. But Paul says, I'm not under the law. But to those who are under the law, I became as under the law. He's not becoming a hypocrite. I'm taking way too much time with this. Let me speed up. Uh, that I might gain them that are under the law. Verse 21, to them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ. What he's saying, he's saying two different things, but it's really the same thing. Notice how he says it. He says, being not without law to God. First of all, I'm not without God's law. He says that in a weird kind of King James-y negative way. But the reason why they translate it that way is because it's in the Greek that way. It's a weird negation. Uh, it's okay to have double negatives in Greek. It's not okay in English, but it is in Greek, and sometimes that causes problems because in English a double negative is technically a positive. I didn't do nothing. Well, that just means you did something. Because you didn't do nothing. Right? That means you did do something. That's the way it works in English. It doesn't work that way in Greek. You can say I didn't do nothing in Greek, and it just simply means I did nothing. Okay? 
So sometimes these things get translated, especially with 400-year-old English. It comes to us a little bit, you know, wonky, but we get it. It's, it's, we're all smart enough to understand what he's saying here. Being not without law to God. In other words, I, I'm not without law to God. I came to these people without the law as without the law, but I, I need you to understand, I'm not without law to God. In fact, let me just double up down on this thing and say, but under the law to Christ. He says in, the, in just two chapters from here, and since it's on my opposite page, I'm just going to read it. He says in chapter 11, uh, verse number one, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So he's saying the order here is God, Christ, man, woman. That's the, that's the order of authority. So here he's saying, I'm not without law to God, but rather I'm actually under, he's using code word there, that hoopo, hoopa. He's like, I'm under, I'm under the law to Christ. Because Christ was under the law. That's what he says in Galatians chapter 4, right? Anybody remember that? Galatians, Ephesians. Chapter 4, now I say that the air is nothing. Let's skip down uh, to verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, this is Galatians 4, 4, God sent forth the Son made of a woman made under the law. So now Paul is referencing Christ, and he's saying, I'm under the law to Christ. And that word too there is a, prepos uh, a preposition that is pointing us to Christ. I'm under the law, but to Christ. I'm not under the law to flesh. I'm not under the law so that it's going to save me. I'm under the law because Christ is my king. Amen? And the king saves me, not me keeping the law. I mean, I know we know all this stuff, but it's a good reminder anyway. I can't say this enough. He's not being a hypocrite. He's not being a hypocrite. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. So to them without law. He finally says that the last uh, passage or the last phrase in verse 21, that I might gain them that are without the law. The common denominator is Jews. I want to, I want to gain Jews. I want to gain people under the law, without the law, Gentiles. I want to gain anybody, right? And, and he's going to make that clear. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. It's almost, it's like it's building, it's building, it's building, and then uh, it's almost anticlimactic. He's saying, I became all things to all uh, men, that I might by all means save some. It's like, wait a minute, I thought we were going to have the big punchline here, Paul. No, he's saying, I have given myself and total servitude to everybody. He says that in the book of Romans, right? Romans chapter 1. Let's look at that. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 1. There, you know, you, you want, he, tell, he tells us in one place, O man, know nothing except for the dead of love, right? Mm -hmm. In the book of Romans, he says, verse number 14, I am debtor both to Greeks 
This is Romans 1.14. I am debtor both to Greeks and to the uh, barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so much as, as in me I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he keeps talking about different people groups. Now, in Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm a debtor. In 1 Corinthians, is it just me or is it hot in here? You can turn the heat down if you'd like. Uh, I'm not sweating yet, but I'm feeling a little stuffy. But everybody okay? Anybody cold? Everybody good? All right, good. We're going to turn the heat down a little bit. So he says in Romans, I'm a debtor. He says in 1 Corinthians, I'm a servant. That. I don't know about you, but that doesn't really sound attractive, does it? This is the only reason why I got into the political round a little while ago. Because what they're proposing to us and what you're going to hear, I, I'm just going to tell you this straight out in the spirit of prophecy. You're going to hear a lot more about this in days to come. Amen. You're going to hear this wonderful government of ours pushing this as a great global economic venture. That this is what's going to rise us up out of poverty. Mm -hmm. is by basically giving away all the government's money. You know, they've even proposed, oh, it's only a quarter of the military budget for one year. Mm -hmm. see, see how what they're doing there? Yeah. They're, 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 taking, they're, they're telling us that you know, if we would just take a quarter of the military budget, we could do this thing. So make ourselves vulnerable. In order to make ourselves more vulnerable, in order to hook us up even more than that we're getting hooked up now. And that's what they're doing. They're hooking us into the system. They're just hooking us, you know, if they can't get us this way, they'll get us this way. If they can't get us that way, they'll get us this way. They'll do it by logic. They'll do it by so-called science. They'll do it, they'll do it in, in any way that, make, that plays on your fears so that you'll just go into the concentration camp and eventually just walk peaceably right into the gas chambers. Hey, we've already seen it last century. Don't think we can't see stuff like that again. And don't think it can't come to these great United States. But, it, but the reason why they're gonna push it is because it's gonna be something acceptable to everybody. Everybody's gonna say, mm -hmm, that sounds like a great idea. And then Paul comes along and says, I'm a debtor to preach the gospel. I'm a servant to gain the Jews and the Gentiles and every other people group I can find, whatever category they're in, whatever demographic they're in. I'm a servant to do that. John says in 1 John chapter 4, test the spirits. What criterion did he use to test the spirits? If they say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it's of God. If they don't say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they are not God. In other words, if the idea, if this spirit, if this attitude that you're feeling, if it's a self-serving attitude, it's not of God. If it's a self-sacrificing attitude, how about uh, Hebrews chapter 12? We all know that. Verse number 3, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. If, if, you, if you claim that that's not counterintuitive, you, you haven't been listening well. How about Matthew chapter 5? Rejoice when they persecute you. How about James chapter 1? 
Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations, right? These things don't really make sense. I mean, come on, let's, let's face it. They don't really make sense. But that's what Paul said in the book we're reading right now, 1 Corinthians. The carnal mind can't understand it. The, the, the flesh that really just wants to serve itself can't understand it. That's the reason why John says, one way that you're going to know whether the Spirit is of God or not is if it's a self-serving spirit or a self-sacrificing spirit. Because Jesus was self-sacrificing. Amen. He came to be our sacrifice. So when we begin to take the same attitude, I will lay my life down for God. We're not talking about laying your life down for the world or the devil or to your own flesh. Right. We're talking about laying your life down for Jesus. Amen. Amen. The world might persecute you. The world might throw you in jail. The world might kill you. But we're not laying down for them. We're laying down for Jesus Christ. So that he can pick us up in a resurrection and move us into our God-given destiny. Someone said, praise God. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. So again, he says, I am made. Earlier he said, I made myself a servant. Now he's saying, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means just save some. Because not everybody's going to be saved. That's the, we're not happy about that. Folks, let's not get happy about that. Amen. In fact, you know, I, I, think, I think I should talk a little bit more about this. That is what I'm going to call a rival spirit. You know what a rival spirit really is? It goes along with envy. Not jealousy. Now, God says my name is jealous, right? So jealousy is actually an emotion God feels. Jealousy is not a sin, by the way. Envy is. Anybody know the difference? Jealousy is about when the object of your affection has either spurned your affection or given their affection to someone else. Everybody hear me? That creates a feeling of jealousy. The thing that you love no longer loves you or is giving their love to something else besides you. Or both. That springs jealousy up. God is jealous because some of his people, many of his people down through the eons, have stopped loving him or don't love him or have given themselves to others in love, right? So God gets jealous. Does God get envious? No, what's envy? Envy is something different. Envy is when we want what someone else has, especially when it looks, when, when we perceive that someone else wants something. There's something crazy that happens to our human nature. Okay, I'm going to get a little bit deep here. I'm not trying to go too psychological, but I'm, I'm going to I'm going to work in that mind realm just a little bit. Everybody okay? Is that, sure. is that okay. covet or is covet and the same thing? Covet is the action of envy, I think. Okay. But remember too that covet can be a good thing because Paul says covet the best gifts, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, earnestly desire. So covet technically means desire something that's not yours. So when Paul comes along and says desire the best gifts that are not yours, he's saying that's actually a good thing. But in most cases, covet is wrong. But thank you, Brother Kerry. That, that was a good question. Uh, covet is kind of like envy in action. Envy is the emotion. Coveting is more of the action of it. Okay? It's kind of you, you got verbs and nouns going on. Would you, would you like an English lesson with all the other? No, okay, 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 let's move on. All right. So, yes, envy. Envy is when you see something 
in something else, that either a possession or quality or, or you know, so, anything that something else has, someone else has, and you want it. You don't want to do the work and train and, and earn or do any of that. You just want what they have. It's kind of like we were taught when we were little kids driving down the road. Don't say, I want that car. Ooh, I like that car. I want it. My parents would always say, no, no, no. Say, I want one like it. Right. Right. Well, neither one is all that good. Okay? Because <laughs> Paul says godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay? Be content with such things as you have. Right? right? I've learned to abase and to abound. Right? Mm -hmm. Everybody yes. with me? Yes. Uh, we preached on that some time ago. So anyway, uh, all, all these things... Are, are, are just desirous. That, that's what they're doing when, when uh, the commercials pop up. They're making you want stuff that you have no need of. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a funny thing about human nature. Okay, this is where I'm going to get into the mind realm. There's a funny thing about human nature. Um, years and years ago, my wife wanted to watch a movie. And I said, nah, I don't want to watch that. Because my brother said it was a terrible movie. I actually wanted to watch this particular movie. My wife wanted to watch the movie, but my brother, whose opinion I respect, said it's a terrible movie, so I lost all desire to watch it. Mm -hmm. I no longer. But if my brother had said, oh, that's a great movie, uh, some time ago, last year sometime, he actually did that. He said, oh, have you ever seen such and such a movie? I won't tell you what it is. And by the way, I haven't watched it uh, because it's a really dark movie, not to mention it's R-rated but it's kind of a dark, it's just a dark movie, and uh, I've determined I'm just not going to watch those movies anymore. No, right, right. You know, just leave it alone. It's not a horror movie, but it's on that dark, ugh, you know. So my brother said, oh, have you seen this? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, you got to see this. He's like, it's really creepy, but it's really good. And I'm going to tell you right now, I wanted to see it. Why? Because my brother said it was a good movie. Me and my wife decided, no, we're not going to watch this. Because we've got a little girl and she is susceptible to spirits coming in because those things do let spirits into your, your house. And we just don't want that anymore. Besides which, we live in the church. So we just don't need that garbage coming in to the house. It's not just because of her, it's because of our own souls. But can you see what I'm saying? In, in other words, if... If, uh, you know, I was, I was at work years ago uh, working up in Dedham, and uh, the, everybody wanted the week around Christmas off. And everybody wanted that week. Everybody wanted that week. Everybody wanted that week. Uh, you know, that's when the kids are out of school, all that. Everybody wants that week. It's a normal week to everybody to fight for. But uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he didn't have any kids. He was just a single guy. And uh, I was like, why do you want that week so bad? You know what he said? You know what his answer was? It wasn't because it's Christmas, I, I want time to shop, I want time to spend with family. He didn't say any of that. He said, because it's the most desirable week. <laughs> what kind of answer is that? Well, he was being honest. There's something about this. that When you understand something else wants that, all of a sudden you start wanting it. When nobody wants it, it's amazing how you don't want it either. Right? I think that's what happened to the Edsel. 
You know? Uh, anybody uh, remember that one? Uh, yeah. What a flop card, right? Does anybody remember? I wasn't around in those days. But uh, I, I know the story, okay? Uh, I mean, I think it was, a, it, it, was a, it was a victim of negative advertising. I, I, I really do. I think they basically just said, this thing's a piece of junk. No one bought it. You, you know, over in Spain, uh, they never sold the Nova. Never so because Nova in Spanish uh, means something negative. It means junk or garbage. <laughs> so no one could buy the. Nobody wants to buy garbage, so they couldn't buy it. Uh, they couldn't sell the Nova over in Spain, right? Okay, and probably maybe other Hispanic speak, uh, Spanish speaking countries. But you know, when someone doesn't want it, when no one wants it, you don't want it either. It's weird. It could be great. You know, but you know. What's the difference between Betamax and VHS? Not a whole lot. Everybody liked VHS better. Uh, some of the young people are going, what is Betamax? You know, it, it was, see, in the old days, we used to watch movies on these boxes in our houses, and they're really big boxes, and we used to have these machines that we had to put big tapes into. And, and there was two systems. You know, there was Betamax and there was VHS. And, and v, v, uh, Betamax went the way of the dinosaurs, you know, yep. it's VHS that, that made, you know, how, how about, um, th th there was two DVD systems too, mm. you know, there, there was like uh, Blu-ray and HD, mm. uh, the Blu-ray one, mm -hmm. why? They were both good, mm -hmm. it's just people stopped liking one, mm -hmm. and the other one got all the sales, mm -hmm. and now all of it's moot because we stream everything these days, <laughs> okay, I gotta, I gotta move on. I'm having too much fun here tonight. Um, all just to save some, just to save some. This I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So we're. I, I want to talk just a little bit. I want to keep talking a little bit, maybe with the time left, about that rival spirit. Notice what he says next. Notice what he says next. That I might be a partaker there for or thereof with. You. Now, the you is in parentheses. It means it's, the word su is not actually in the Greek, but uh, the other words carry forth the second person. Everybody with me? Mm -hmm. so, so we know you is there. It's just not an actual separate word. So we do know what it's saying. It says, so I want to be a partaker with you. What does he say next? This is weird. What does he say next in verse 24? Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain... Okay, keep your finger there and turn over a few cha uh, chapters to Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. This is Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, the job, the calling, the, the operation with which you are called. With all lowliness. And meekness with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring. Everybody say endeavoring. endeavoring. In other words, they get the word endeavoring from the word endeavor. Anybody know what an endeavor is? Something you work at. Yeah. It's something you try for, you reach for. I reach for the prize for the high calling of Christ Jesus, right? Yes. It's something you're working for. It's not something you're traipsing along and tiptoeing through the tulips with. Right. If you don't know, I was making a reference to Tiny Tim. Not, 
Not our brother Tim, <laughs> Tiny Tim. He's not tiny. No, he's not tiny. <laughs> Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what that means? Yeah. Unity's got to be worked at. Amen. But let, let, let's read on just a bit. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of law who is above all and through all and in you all. In you all. And then he goes on. I'm not going to keep reading, but he goes on and says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to on and on and so forth. So when we're reading here, Paul says, I am free, and yet I've made myself a servant that I might gain. None of this makes very much sense. And yet in the spirit, it makes all the sense that we need. I have become in, if we did it in our flesh, it would be hypocritical. But when Paul and when we do it in the spirit, we become servants. In other words, when I make common ground with a Jew, I'm not being a hypocrite when I'm doing it in the spirit. If I did it in my flesh, I'm being a hypocrite. I'm being an actor. Everybody with me? But because I'm doing it in the spirit, in the spirit of a servant, I'm doing it as a servant of God. And I'm no longer a hypocrite. So even if I don't feel weak, when I identify and make common ground with the weak, I'm not just putting on a show and using false compassion uh, and just, just trying to be manipulative and win a soul that way. No, if it's done in the flesh, it's manipulation. If it's done in the spirit, it's righteousness. What does it say in 1 Samuel? You know, Witchcraft or rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, right? So what's the opposite of rebellion? Obedience. Obedience, submission, right? Anybody, everybody agree with that? Yes. Uh, you know, subservience, self-sacrificing, right? We're, we're not bucking the system. We're becoming a servant, right? Yes. So if we want to get out of manipulative witchcraft, you become submitted. In the spirit. Amen. And you will not be operating in rebellion. You will not be operating in manipulation. But it's funny. When we do these things in our flesh. It flips over into that witchcraft realm. Well I don't pray to Satan. And I don't, I don't do spells and stuff. Well witchcraft is not just making spells. And uh, overtly worshipping the devil. Or something like that. Witchcraft is when you use mind control. Dominating, and domineering tactics. Manipulative tactics, guilt trips. Come on. Mm -hmm. We all know people that do these things. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're making us feel bad because we won't do what they want us to do. Come on. If you don't know someone like that now, I bet you you have sometime in your past. Mm -hmm. And probably more than one person. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's, that's just a form of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. When people are controlling you through any means. Other than the Spirit of God. But when we're allowing ourselves. I've made myself a servant. When we're allowing the Spirit to control us. We actually buck witchcraft. And rebellion along with it. Everybody okay? Amen. Let's move on. Let's try, let's try to get through this. So he, he's talking about. I want to save some by doing this. And I all do this all for the gospel's sake. That I might be a particular thereof with you. And then he starts talking about. Let's all run to try to win this race. If you just read that one verse without the other verses we read, you might be tempted to think that this is some kind of competition. That this is some kind of a rivalry. 
Here's the problem with rivalry. See, sometimes rivalry can actually be good in certain senses. Like, like two guys on a team, they're, they're both shooting to be first stringers or they're both shooting to be uh, the, uh, the quarterback or whatever it is they're trying to get, right? And they actually improve each other because they're, they're both training hard to win the spot. So they actually improve. Sometimes a, a nice, friendly rivalry can actually be a good thing. Because after all, they are on the same team, and at the end of the day, they're working on the same team. But what it does is it leads us a lot of times when, when we perceive that, like in high school, you know, when my friend perceives I like that girl, mm -hmm. all of a sudden he likes that girl. Mm -hmm. And now we become rivals. Mm -hmm. And not just rivals, eventually if we're not careful, we, can, we used to be friends, but now we're enemies because we're going for the same goal. Mm -hmm. And so in order to, and it's logical to, in order to get the prize, I have to get that person out of the way. I have to make them look bad or I have to kill them. Right? There's all kinds of rivalries just in the book of Genesis. I mean, think about right chapter 4. You've got a rivalry between Cain and Abel, right? Mm -hmm. Abel yes. ended up dead. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Cain wanted something he had. They were brothers. Mm -hmm. They were the second generation. And one of them killed another one. We see, it's, this is not really a rivalry, but we see Abraham and Lot had a contention, right? Mm -hmm. But when Abraham, in the spirit of, I want to say Christ, because it was the spirit of Christ, but uh, under the influence of the spirit of God, said, you know what? Take the best. You just go ahead and have it. What did Abraham get? He got a promise right after he let Lot take the best of the land, mm -hmm. according to Lot's opinion. What did Abraham get? He got a word from God which is far more valuable than all the lands of the plains. Right? Yeah. He got a word from God. He said, look at the sand at your feet. Can you count it? Look at the stars above you. Can you count it? That's, that's what I'm going to give you. What did Lot get? Well, Lot got the Moabites. Lot got the Ammonites, who were a thorn in Israel's side for many years later. He, you know, in the New Testament, it says his righteous soul was vexed. But that's about as the best report we got from Lot, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of stories about Lot in a positive light. But what about Abraham? Friend of God. Father of the faithful. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, Abraham's a Bible hero. Lot's not. So you can, can you see what's going on? There, the devil tried to bring a rivalry, and Abraham, or Abram in that point, just said, nope, go ahead. Go ahead, take it. It's fine. You take the best. And who got all the land anyway? Abraham's descendants. Not Lot's descendants. Right? In fact, it, where, where did Lot go? He went down to Sodom, right? Sodom got flash fried. Yes. Okay, he got French fried with, with barbecue. Okay? Everybody hungry? Let's, let's go out and get something to eat after church. <laughs> But he's, ta he's, talking, you know, he's talking about, let's do it all together. And then he starts talking about running a race. If you're not careful, you'll think that Paul's endorsing rivalry. We see other rivalries, of course. Jacob and Esau, Ishmael and Isaac, right? There's rivalries. We, we see Leah, Leah and Rachel. We see Joseph and his brothers. We see all kinds of rivalries. And sometimes it turns out well, sometimes not so well. But the rivalry itself is, is all about killing the other guy. Taking his land, taking his blessing, whatever. And when you took my blessing, you 
son of a gun, I'm going to kill you. You know, um, come on, it's bad. It gets bad, you know. Moving on. It's enough about that, I guess. We're, we're not here to be rivals with each other. Amen. We're here to work together. Yes. We're here to run this race as one unit. Yes. Amen. We're, we're not here to compete with each other. Right. Praise God. That's right. We're still trying to obtain. So run that you might attain. Let me read down to the rest of the chapter. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Temperate. Temperate. In other words, not given to every desire you want. Right? Mm-hmm. Not, not going after every little pleasure you want. Not going after, you know, the, the Lord has, you know, told me this many, many years ago. I'll, I'll say it again real quickly because we're, we're right at 830 now. But, you know, what's the difference between the rich and the poor? This is just a nugget of wisdom God gave me a long time ago. Now, obviously, I haven't put it to very good use because I, don't, I still don't have a lot of money. But I will say this. I'm rich in Christ. Okay, because he's given me massive revelation, and that's worth more than all the trillions that the world can offer. Amen. Okay? So I'm rich in him, and I have everything I need. I have a roof over my head, plenty of clothes. I've got a family. You know, I've got a ministry. I mean, these are not in order of value or magnitude. I'm just saying, I've got everything I need, and quite a few things I want, too. But I'm not rich in any, any, any estimation, especially not in the United States. If you compare to me to other people around the world, they'd probably think of me as rich. But I've got everything I need. God is good to me and my family. He's good to us in this church. Amen? Yes. We can just remember that. But the difference between the rich and the poor. The rich use money. The poor blow money. When poor people get money... They spend it. Uh, they, they, did this, they did this study. Now, this is, this is amazing. They did this study on a group of farmers, and I can't remember where it was. I think it might have been here in the United States, but I, I can't be sure. But they did a study on this group of farmers that got 60% of their yearly income at harvest time in the fall. Now, they made other incomes throughout the year, but most of their yearly income came at harvest time, which means most of the year they're living relatively poor, and one section of the year they're living rich. But not really rich, they're still living poor because they're blowing all their money, and that's the reason why the rest of the year they're living poor. Everybody hear me? Instead of doing the wise thing of setting aside, like the Bible actually tells us to, they, they just, oh, yay! It's, you know, it's like the first of the month at Walmart, right? Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't go to Walmart on the first of the month. Why? Because everybody's got their government check. Not everybody, but a lot of people get their government checks. And they've been struggling for the last three weeks with no money and just, you know, uh, picking up, uh, you know, uh, mostly smoked cigarette butts out of the ashtray and rolling up. Uh, I've seen people do this, folks. Rolling up a new cigarette just to have a little nicotine to get you through the last three weeks of the month. And then finally you get that money. <laughs> and they run and they get, you know, I mean, I've seen these people get heaping baskets full. And then there's someone walking right behind them with another heaping basket full. And it's like they're, they're holding up all the lines, of course. And poor mentality. Small mindedness. I'm just going to blow it all I get. And then suffer the rest of the month. Well, these guys do that on a yearly basis. They blow it all. 
He, now, this is the amazing part. I know what time it is. Can you hang out with a few more minutes? Yeah, sure. The amazing thing is, is they gave these farmers and their families an IQ test in the summer, and they gave them another IQ test in the fall. On average, the IQ test came out 14 points higher in the fall. Now, I don't know if that sunk in. What I'm saying is, when they were living with no money, and under that oppressive feeling, they actually had lower IQs. When they, when they got their income in, their IQ, this is amazing. Your IQ is not supposed to jump around that high, that much. Your IQ pretty much you know, will grow over the years because we gain an experience. Okay? Uh, so it's normal from the time you were in high school to you know, when, you, when you're, say, in your middle years. It's normal to grow maybe even five points. Okay? That's about as much as they give us. And, and I don't put a lot of stock in IQ tests. I'm just saying, it's not supposed to jump around 14 points in a couple of months. How is that even possible? By the way, that was, I saw that on the same information I saw about this push. They're saying if everybody has plenty of cash, they actually become more intelligent. But the, the facts are good. That at that time, because all of a sudden their brain kicks into overdrive, what can I spend my money on? But it's still a poor-minded mentality because, you know, you can give someone a million dollars. It won't last them very long. It won't last them very long. There was a, there was a man years ago that we knew, and, and uh, I was actually praying for the Lord to bless him. The Lord said, stop. With the, come on. Would the Lord tell us not to pray for blessings? Well, he did. And I know it was the voice of the Lord. I know it wasn't, it wasn't the devil. And then the Lord, then can I say, well, why don't you want, the Lord told me, he, I mean, I heard his voice so clear. He said, if you gave that man $50,000 today, he'd go out and kill himself. Oh, he wouldn't put a gun in his mouth, but he might as well. Because he'd go out there and blow that money on everything he wanted and it would kill his natural body. So you're not helping him out to praying that God give him blessing. You're asking the Lord, Lord God, give him salvation. God, God give them wisdom. God give them a godly sorrow. God give them a repentant heart. God give them something to lead them to you, which is the true wealth of the universe. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible by default crown. We are going after a crown, not a Stephanas. Not one of those leafy laurels. We're going for a crown of righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 26. I, have, I therefore so run not as uncertainly. So fight I not as one that beateth the air. My dad always used to like to say that means shadow boxing. You know, someone who's just, you know, just practicing, you know, uh, hitting at his own shadow. I'm not someone who's just vainly beating at the air. But I keep my body under and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. John talks about us loving each other and not hating one another. That's not really what he also talks about in John chapter 13. I give you a new command. This is Jesus talking, but John's recording a new commandment. And he says, I want you to love one another. Well, is that a new commandment? 
Anybody? It's not a trick question. It's not a new commandment. So why would Jesus tell his boys, I'm giving you a new commandment? It's because of what he said next. He said, I want you to love one another as I love you. That's the new part of it. The Old Testament was love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus is coming along. We're bumping this up in order of magnitude. Okay, we're, we're putting one exponent higher on this. It used to be love squared, now it's love cubed, all right? Love one another like I love you, not like you love yourself. No, let's raise it up even higher than that. Now that you're going to have the Holy Ghost abiding in you, now use the Holy Ghost that uh, by that Holy Ghost, the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts, according to Romans chapter 5. Everybody remember that one? Use that love shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost to love each other like God loves. Now, John comes along in 1 John chapter 2 and says, I'm not giving, it's not like it's a new commandment that we love each other. So do it. Right? This is not a new idea. It's only new to people who have rejected the law. And so never heard the law that says love one another. So this is basic, basic stuff. But the area and the time and the season that we're, we're coming into, th- these, this word like this is necessary for us. Again, I know that tonight's message has been a little bit different than the way I usually do things. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about things in a different way here tonight. But at the same time, the Lord's still speaking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you know, he, he doesn't want us to be rivals. We're not, we're not, this is not a comparison. Who can be more spiritual than the next guy? Who can have more word of knowledge than the next guy? Or, or who knows more Bible verses than the next guy? It's not about that. You, you study to show yourself approved unto God. Amen. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Right? For all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for reproof and correction and instruction and in righteousness. Right? Which one did I forget? Doctrine. And doctrine. Right? It's profitable. It's profitable. You know, bodily exercise profit little, but uh, I'll tell you what profits a lot. Searching after God, being like God. Becoming like Him. Amen. Reaching for Him. Reaching for the things of the Spirit. Put everything in its proper order. Stand with me tonight. We're not here seeking our own, folks. If we can act like Paul... We might end up in prison. But when you've given your life up for Jesus, it's not a problem anymore. When you, when you act like Paul and say, I've made myself a servant, you might find yourself on the headsman block, uh, you know, the executioner's block. It's okay. Anybody think Paul's with Jesus today? Amen. Yes. I do. Yes. Amen. That's okay in my book. Come on, let's pray. Lord God, we love you tonight. We thank you for the word. We thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to be rivals, that we can be servants. Lord God, that we can be in unity. So teach us to walk worthy of our vocation. Teach us to endeavor and strive for that unity. To strive and enter in at the straight gate. Lord God, that we would put effort into this walk. Lord God, teach us that we're never going to get anything if we just coast through. Lord God, train us. 
Train us up in skill. Skill in the Word. Skill in the Spirit. Skill in ministry. Skill in deliverance. Lord, skill in soul winning. Lord God, teach us to become spiritual compatibility to others, Lord God. So that wherever they are, we can find common ground with them and gain them for the kingdom of God. Can we praise the Lord here tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.